Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with Dr. Sonia Jets and myself talking all things hormones and relationships and how to optimize your health for longevity, health span, and a beautiful future with your grandkids and maybe great grandkids one day, mm-hmm. right? And we can't get there without discussing how to optimize your hormonal system. So if you're enjoying this content and you, and you keep sharing it and, and asking questions and commenting, we so appreciate you. So please continue, like and subscribe to this communication so that we can keep you up to date and keep advancing this information forward. So uh, a really common conversation that comes up whenever the discussion, for whatever reason, hormones uh, is often related to this conversation of cancer. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, I do not want to go on hormones or hormones are bad because hormones lead to cancer. And it's such a common question. And, and, and with most patients in our, in our clinic, you know, even if they're considering how to optimize it through just natural means to, to maybe bioidentical, the, the, one of the first things, well, I heard it caused cancer. Right. And, you know, we're not cancer or oncologists. We're not specialists in the, the realm of oncology. But we do have a really good understanding of working with individuals. And we've never seen cancer ever show up in a patient of ours as a result of optimizing their hormones. So, um, yeah, like, where does some of the, Like, do you get that question often in, mm-hmm. in clinic? Yeah, and I often um, hear stories about women wanting to go on hormones. And maybe they brought that topic up with their doctor or talk to a pharmacist and that is the first reaction of like well no we can't because it causes cancer and yet we give birth control to 12 year olds to 13 year olds and not realizing that we're starting this process of bringing hormones into the body at a very young age and that we're already replacing our hormones from just birth control from synthroid like all these things we're already doing hormone replacement and yet when it comes to these hormones at the stage of like perimenopause and menopause, there's a lot of fear that's been created, um, definitely from the Women's Health Initiative, that study that was done. And that's the end of the conversation then. So women aren't really feeling like they're getting the right information or are able to ask these questions because instantly they're getting shut down. Yeah, absolutely. And the same for the men too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's one of the, and, it, and every patient, I love it when patients ask this though, because they're, it shows me that they're invested in their, their experience of what, what healthcare means to them. They're, they're really, you know, obviously have concerns around what it would look like to optimize these things in their life. And so it's very valid, you know, questions mm-hmm. and, and marketing is a powerful tool. I mean, when you hear that from your pharmacist or your, your GP or, maybe even in commercials and things like that, you, you really start to believe it. I mean, we, we see that constantly where if something's repeated enough, it becomes part of our understanding. And whether aware of it or not, we, we you know, say it out loud. Well, and it's the telephone game. Exactly. So somebody might have heard it from the doctor or somebody, and now they have an opinion, and then they may be talking to their friend group about hormones and saying, like, no, no, you don't want to touch those because it's going to cause cancer. And then all of a sudden it becomes the next person's belief. So it just changes 
or it doesn't change over time, or now we create a story around them without actually investigating. Yeah, and I find it so interesting because, you know, cancer development in the body is a, is a complicated process. Uh, and often people go, well, my, my mom had breast cancer or my dad had prostate cancer, so, you know, it's inevitable, I'm gonna have it at some point in time. Um, we think it's all, we, we almost relate illness to like catching a cold. It's like, oh, I'm gonna get it, you know, and it's just something that just happens to us. But, you know, hopefully in these conversations, you're understanding that like it's all an individualized process. We're all a unique individual with our own life experiences, our own exposures to different things. But we also know that epigenetically speaking, so environmentally triggering, that's how genes get activated in the body. So there you could have a genetic predisposition for anything, for you know, uh, susceptibility to concu concussion or you know, arthritis or what have you. You might have a susceptibility, but something in the environment has to be a signal for that to get activated in the body. Right. Yeah, so that's a huge one because women will show up with uh, maybe information around breast cancer and maybe mom had it or an aunt had it. And so there is genetic testing that gets done to see if you have that gene. But again, that education around that gene will only turn on depending on the environment because the statistic around breast cancer also is that nine out of 10 are environmental. Mm -hmm. Only one out of 10 is genetic. So if we see that, and the statistic is one out of two women are going to have breast cancer in their lifetime, what are we gonna work on? We're gonna work on the environment. And it is through hormone optimization that the body gets to function in a way that it can relate to its environment, it can detoxify properly, our nervous systems are more settled, so we have to have the hormone conversation in that so we can optimize it just because of the world that we live in today. Definitely, yeah. And when, if we just looked at the site of where hormones are active, they're, they're active in the mitochondria, yeah. right? And so we're, what are so many people suffering with in the, in the world that we live in is mitochondrial dysfunction, which essentially means overwhelm on these little battery packs that live within our cells that are creating energy for us to heal, creating energy for us to you know, detoxify, creating energy for us to, to have uh, thoughts and, and have nerve conduction in our brain. So ultimately, because of envir environmental influence, things change in the genetic makeup of the mitochondria, which actually in cancer cells, they, they revert back to their archaic form of energy metabolism, which is fermentation. Mm. And so they, they are not going through the typical oxidative process, like breathing the oxygen, taking that oxygen to make, you know, generate a tremendous amount of ATP. But when they revert back to their archaic mechanisms for, for energy production, they're making, you know, maybe 10% of the same energy that you would through oxidative means. And so what that means essentially is that there has to be an inherent breakdown in our metabolic function and you know, toxic accumulation, chronic stress. There's lots of things that lead to uh, tissue progression towards cancer development. And so uh, all hormones really are, you know, in a most superficial level, they're just, they have to get into the mitochondria to tell the mitochondria to increase their activity or increase their oxygenation, or increase production, increase protein synthesis. They're, they're just a delivery, they're a communication tool. And mm -hmm. I mean, we say that to patients all the time. So when, can you have toxic levels of hormones? For sure. I mean, you can get way too much estrogen from pesticides and heavy metals. Mm -hmm. like they're called xenoestrogens. They can really bioaccumulate in the tissues. Uh, there's a lot of hormone disrupting chemicals that are in our environments. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. You can get toxic exposure to too much hormone. 
Um, but really, that's that's not what was shared in the, in the, the women's study. in the study, yeah. right? And if you think about the food that you're eating, again, we're not asking the right questions. Like if you're eating dairy products, for example, even if it's organic, even if it's grass-fed, all that, naturally, milk will have hormones in it. Yeah. So you're already consuming hormones. And especially if you're not eating organic fruits and vegetables, the pesticides look like estrogen. Our animals are getting injected with estrogen. So we have to start like reverse engineering where this dysfunction is happening in the cells and in the mitochondria. And it's through what we're doing every single day. So if we're going to have that hormone conversation of like leading to cancer, we have to look at, okay, what am I bringing into my environment that will create the environment for that cancer cell to thrive? And speaking to the mitochondria, we have like so many of them in our ovaries. I think the number is like 400,000. Yeah. Like there's so many. And I don't know if it's the same for like the testes. High in sperm. I mean, those guys have to work really hard. To right. Get, they have to right. need a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, I don't know what I was saying. Okay, well, you are saying like the ovaries are a really big source yeah, of mitochondria. Exactly. Part. So then that leads to more susceptibility for this toxic overload. Yeah. And so we have to look at that when we're looking at like hormone replacement, when we're looking at um, that connection between hormones and cancer. So even when we're providing bioidentical hormones for patients, we're having these conversations around, we have to clean the environment too mm -hmm. for efficiency of um, uptake of those hormones. Definitely. So just to talk a few points, I mean, there's, you can go to many different podcasts, many different lectures of people really breaking down the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative. But these are some things that I remember from that study that I think are really relevant. One is they basically took two groups of women postmenopausal. They put the women that were that had a full hysterectomy or, or ovaries also not uh, no longer in the body. They put them on a form of progesterone called progestin, and then they put them on Premarin. Neither of those are bioidentical hormones, just so that that's there. Bio, Non-bioidentical means that they're a pharmaceutical uh, mixture or, or structure that is not identical to what our body inherently makes. So that's one aspect. And then the other, the other group in that study were also postmenopausal women, but with ovarians and with ovaries intact, and they were given Premarin only, which is pregnant mare horse urine. Basically, the, the hormones are extracted from the urine. So these are the two groups that were studied. Again, women well past menopause. But it turned out that there was a slight increased relative risk in cancer in the progestin group. So the women that were added or that were given progestin, this, this progesterone-like molecule, um, there was a slight relative risk uptick. And here's the problem with relative risk is it, it's not taking the full population. It's comparing the two groups to one another and fractioning it down to the smallest part. So you might see like one out of like a um, uh, hundred or one out of 10 people and say there's a 10% increased risk factor for cancer production. But the problem in these, these huge studies is that we're not looking at that individual. Did that individual have cancer cells beforehand? Was it the progestin that likely activated this trigger in, that, you know, in those very small in amount of individuals? And so we're trying to like take that information, extrapolate that over to what we would call optimizing our hormone uh, levels, not to a super physiological level, but within a physiological normal level. And, and using bioidentical versions or herbs or, or nutrition and things like that to optimize hormone function. And so we're, we're kind of trying to compare uh, apples to oranges in that mm -hmm. in using the information in Women's Health Initiative. But unfortunately, um, 
this is where so much of that understanding around it causes cancer. Because in the primary and only group, there was a reduction in cancer, mm -hmm. there was a reduction in strokes and other cardiovascular events. So there was actually better outcomes. And we've talked about this before, the role of estrogen in being an anti-inflammatory, having a profound effect on the brain and the cardiovascular tissue. We know that women are also more likely to have heart attacks and things like that post-menopause because estrogen drops. And so despite it not even being a bioidentical source, yeah. the Premarin has uh, components of, of estriol, which are sort of like anti-estrogens or keep it's this full mixture of all these different estrogens that, that there's always checks and balances in our hormonal system. So there's three main mm -hmm. forms of estrogen in women's body, uh, or men's too, but estradiol, estrone, estriol. Mm -hmm. And so when you get that full mixture, like that was given in the Premarin, it had these checks and balances to keep things in check. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this is where discernment comes in and really asking yourself those questions. What is my environment like? What are things that are, can contribute to dysfunction in my mitochondria? Reading more about hormones and understanding like how they work in your body and what's going to support your individual system and not really just relying on that like one blanket statement that this equals this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that, you know, you, you hit it there in the head and that's like taking a generalized, you know, overarching approach and trying to you know squeeze that idea or metaphor in, into to the individual mm -hmm. and we're just so unique in how we develop how we age how we you know how we utilize our hormones how we detoxify our environment uh, the health of our gut and our yeah. microbiome and early yeah. childhood traumas and all sorts of things are contributing events to how we got to where we are now yeah right? i think there's a book written about how cancer is actually a fungus yeah. And like, or like how like a fungal environment will contribute or parasitic or, or par viral. Like like yeah, it's everything. <laughs> right? So there's so much information out there to yeah. look at, and because that is probably one of the scariest diagnoses someone can get. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many other unfortunate ones too, but this really is the one that I'm sure anyone listening probably knows somebody that was diagnosed. So it's quite, it can be quite a trigger. So I think it's important to understand all the elements of it and so we can control what we can control and let go of things that we can't yeah definitely so really really important conversation on, on understanding this and, and like i said we're just kind of presenting you some of the information scratching the surface but hopefully giving a bit more of a philosophy around um, how cancer can progress and develop in the body and and it's not always like what I did today caused things tomorrow. It's, it's our whole life. It's all, the whole circumstance of many different things that are contributing to allowing things to develop. Mm -hmm. And those are all those little epigenetic switches that show up over time from stress to toxin accumulation to dietary choices to circadian rhythms to infections. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many contributing events. It's so hard, I think. And I think this is part of the problem with just medicine and testing um, or doing big large studies on, on huge populations of people is there's so much individuality and it's so difficult to say this caused this mm -hmm. you know in many circumstances mm -hmm. it's not easy to do that yep. so um, switching gears a little bit uh, talking a little bit more about um, you know how do we optimize this hormone uh, specifically now in men I want to talk a little bit about testosterone and the whole discussion around prostate because mm -hmm. we talked a lot about the women's health initiative but what does that mean for men so a lot of men you know as we age we are more likely to develop prostate cancer right and so you know in this discussion of uh, prostate cancer we've also heard the story that testosterone causes cancer in men and it specifically causes 
prostate cancer. So there's a, a great book um, uh, by Dr. Abram Morgan Taylor, he's a urologist. He really breaks down that the whole dialogue around te uh, cancer production really came from three studies that were trying to show that testosterone caused uh, prostate cancer. And it turns out that really two of the three were, were irrelevant and not well designed. Uh, and then in the last study, the, the one, there were, it came down to one individual who had all sorts of different complications. And so they're basing the whole idea of uh, cancer and testosterone on this one individual in this one tiny little study. Uh, if you want, you read his book and get, get more details on it. But really what this tells me, it's a massive misunderstanding of, of hormone therapy for men. And now testosterone converts into dihydrotestosterone. There's alpha, there's beta. Alpha is more provoking for testosterone growth, but also as we increase dihydrotestosterone levels, that's what's uh, said to be you know, causing male pattern, bald <laughs> male hair pattern, pattern baldness. Am I saying that wrong? <laughs> oh my goodness. They could just say male pattern. Oh, I'm, oh, yeah. now um, you're confused. I'm all jumbled up to you now. Yeah, contributing to hair loss in men. Yes. So dihydrotestosterone. In a male pattern. Yeah, in a male pattern, <laughs> yes. I love it. So uh, this dihydrotestosterone has been linked to that, but it's also associated with prostate growth. So the idea is if you give more testosterone, you're gonna get more conversion to dihydrotestosterone, and therefore you are increasing your risk factor for prostate growth, mm -hmm. therefore prostate cancer. Um, so there's some truth to that. Yes, testosterone does convert into uh, its alpha or beta forms, but beta is, is again part of that checks and balances. It's keeping this alpha form in check. And then there's things like salt palmetto, B6, zinc, selenium. There's lots of great things that help with that conversion process. Um, but then there's also drugs like Propecia and Flomax and things like that, which men and women are taking for uh, prevention of hair loss. So there's lots of things happening in the, in the realm of uh, the prostate, but the, the, the categorical mechanism is, that, again, it's an individual thing. So if you increase testosterone, yes, you can get increased conversion to dihydrotestosterone, but no, that does not mean that you're going to develop prostate cancer, first of all. Um, it might mean that your body's gonna take some of that testosterone converted into estrogen, which is super common. Um, but again, we have to look at people as an individual. So if someone does have high estrogen, that would be part of a contributing factor for prostate health as well. Um, you can do a dry urine hormone test, which actually breaks down the alpha and beta forms. And, and men who have good ratios and, and good proportion of beta to alpha, they have a natural protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so it's always important to go back to the why. Go, we say go upstream, get to the reason for why prostate cancer might develop. You know, you mentioned fungal before. We see high amounts of people the, the, with, that are given the diagnosis of prostate cancer that have high candida or yeast. There can be parasites, there can be heavy metals, there can be other contributing factors that are leading to tissue accumulation and tissue growth. And it's not just that this causes this, right? Yeah, it it's so simplistic, exactly. Yeah. And so you have a lot of young people that come to you for testosterone yeah. therapy. Yeah. Do you feel like they too are asking these questions around cancer, prostate cancer, or are they just kind of focused on like knowing that they have these symptoms and they know testosterone is a solution? Yeah, not often. Like it's, it's more in the older population because they've had their PSA tested, prostate-specific right. antigen, which is a marker for prostate inflammation. The younger men typically, whether or not that they're aware of it, we always talk about it mm -hmm. uh, because I bring it up if they don't. 
Um, but whether, whether they're aware of it or not, uh, they eventually become aware of it. But here's an interesting population of people that I've seen is that men who go on to um, testosterone patient therapy at a young age, typically you know, steroid abuse or what have you, um, they seem to proportionally, and in, in my practice anyways, proportionally have a higher PSA when they get into their 40s and, and 50s. Mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the main reasons is because it's never been managed properly at such a high level. And so they probably got a significant conversion of that super physiological dose of testosterone right. into dihydrotestosterone, and that was part of the problem. So I think at much higher levels, Again, in my, in my practice, we tend to see people with higher PSA later in life. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So then what are some, like, what's the testing that you're doing with, the, with them? And are you doing a Dutch test on every male that comes into? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we always do the blood test. Uh, at, at a certain age, we'll definitely check the PSA or if they're symptomatic, if, as in, are they waking up frequently at night? Is there any really discomfort in the perennial area? Um, have they had a digital rectal exam maybe in the past where there, there was some you know, swollen tissue in the prostate? Uh, those are usually the signs. And then waking up frequently at nighttime to urinate, those are all be you know, reasons to maybe test for a PSA and then maybe recommend uh, get a digital rectal exam done. All of those things you know, would be you know, reasons why to test. Mm -hmm. But definitely in 40 plus, we usually look for PSA you know, once maybe a year, maybe once every couple of years just to make sure that you know, there isn't any provoking stress in, in that area. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, definitely the, the Dutch test on typically on men who have a, either been on testosterone for a while, have had a history of, of steroid abuse, or are also in that older population that are having symptoms of mm -hmm. frequent urination, not clearing their bladder, you know, a split stream in the urinary flow or any difficulty with flow whatsoever. We do want to look deeper at what could be contributing to mm -hmm. that problem. Yeah. So, so anyone that you've put on testosterone, like have, has that any men come to you saying that, um, you know, me feeling this way, like low motivation, the symptoms that we've talked about before is affecting my relationship or is affecting like how I'm showing up at work or is affecting how I'm being a father? Like are, are they aware that this, there's a connection between this like sex hormone and how they're like showing up in life? Or is it more like my performance, my recovery, like those kinds of things? Are being yeah. Targeted. Yeah, I think I think men are becoming more in, in tune, you know, or maybe it's just the people that I get a chance to work with, mm -hmm. but they're they're aware of, of many different factors. Many and a lot of our men, it's not really on the libido side. I think really, you know, this is where you shine too. Is is really being able to have a conversation around having intimate conversations, like feeling like you can actually connect with your partner and feeling like you're that relationship dynamic that maybe. Um, like just, just you know, desire for one another or lust maybe you know, help to get through the first part of the relationship, but now they're in a new version of the relationship that they're having to, you know, maybe they had kids and there's other mm -hmm. dynamics that have interfered uh, with, with how they're connecting with one another. But there's this evolution, I think, that not every couple, you know, knows how to engage in. Mm -hmm. So that difficulty with conversation or connection can be, can be part of the conversation, but it could also be, you know, strength has gone down or like feeling like they're, they're not as, you know, happy or as patient as they are, they're more likely to be irritable. 
And that irritable one is funny because typically irritation is associated with too much testosterone. Right. But it's actually more the opposite, mm -hmm. that we lose our patience as, as our testosterone declines. But it's, it's quality of life. And the way that it's articulated by the, the patients is a little bit unique, but it usually revolves around performance and energy and feeling like weak and tired or feeling like you just don't recover after you exercise or after play sports. There's this really, there's a slowness to things. And, and so I got a chance to play soccer with some old guys uh, last week. And it was so funny because we, we show up and everyone's like very specific about stretching. They're okay. absolutely, they, they need to stretch beforehand. Like you don't see young people stretching. No. I never stretched when I was younger. Yeah. Our, our boys barely do it now. They, they do mean, it they because they do, they should. Yeah. They do it because they're told they should. Mm. Um, and I don't remember ever really doing that properly when yeah. I was playing, you know, basketball in college and whatnot and high school and, you know, a little bit here and there. But these guys that showed up to like seniors <laughs> or like middle-aged soccer, they were all adamant about stretching. They were all talking about like this guy was out for a week because he got injured in the last game and he turned too fast. You know, uh, another friend of mine, he's like, I, I don't want to move too, move too quickly laterally because if I do, I'm carrying a little extra weight. I might tumble right over and roll my ankles. <laughs> it's like all these things that all these kind of, these are the these are where the conversations are yeah. happening. It's happening in the activity. We're like, I, I'm not recovering as fast. Yeah. I'm feeling more sore. I'm more, there's more pain after exercise. Right. Yeah. I also think we're just more tuned in as we age, too. Yeah, I think so, so too. So, I mean, yeah. when you watch, like, the kids playing, um, or even, like, in your teens, or even in your 20s, like, your focus really isn't in, even recovery. on recovery. No. It's just, I just want that adventure. I just want to do yeah. that. So now we know what can happen if we don't get a good night's sleep. Or yeah. even yesterday was the boy's birthday, and you kept asking if I wanted to play, and my hip was already feeling a little bit... Yeah. funny and I'm like no I know what's going to happen because yeah. I'm going to want to put 100% in yeah. but my body's like you could probably do 50% today and yeah. so yeah I have to pause and say no <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a defining factor I think in, in this stage of life and you know and I wouldn't say that it's absolutely correlated like just because you're getting older this is happening but no, we, I don't actually think it's a negative thing no. I think we're just more aware so yeah. we know what we need yeah. for optimization for sure yeah. but we categorically we will recover faster when our hormonal system yes. is on on online versus not yeah 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 exactly um cool well i think that's a you know a great conversation to have just around you know the fear around you know what does optimization look like can it cause cancer mm -hmm. you know what does that mean for men and women and then i love that you brought in this conversation around like what are those people really struggling with you know, and it's often, and I think like, you know, future podcasts, obviously we're going to dive in a little bit more about the changes in relationships over time and how those hormones are, you know, needing to be utilized in a different kind of way because there's more body awareness, there's more emotional awareness. Hopefully we've, you know, developed our prefrontal cortex so we can right. observe our behavior a little bit more instead of just, you know, reacting to the environment. So mm -hmm. uh, more of that to come, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so hopefully uh, this conversation was uh, of value to you and maybe it'll just get you start thinking a little bit differently about what does it mean to optimize your hormones. Um, and hopefully we've demystified a little bit of this discussion around cancer and it being an inevitability if someone was to add in hormones or optimize their hormones. And so, uh, but obviously there's, there's so much more to this conversation, uh, which we're going to continue. And uh, so thank you so much for tuning in. And if you want more details, 
and dive into this conversation with us, please join us on our Health Ignited Club where we meet once a month to really you know, flesh out these details and be in community and, and, have, and have conversations with the people that are involved. So you can find that on drsjensen.com and it's the Health Ignited Club. Thanks so much for watching. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited Podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.